Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of African Women in Family Businesses. And in this edition, we have the amazing Nancy Guja, who is here to share with us her her amazing, amazing story. Uh, I'd like to welcome you, Nancy, and allow you to introduce yourself and just um, start speaking to us. We've had amazing sessions, and uh, we've been looking forward and anticipating your session. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Titi. Thank you, Titi and Nikkei for having me. Um, I'm so excited to be on today and to be chatting to this group about women in, in, in family businesses. You know, um, I've been uh, lucky. I've been blessed, in fact, let me say, in that um, I was born into a family that was a great entrepreneurial family. And it allowed me opportunities that I think a lot of other women would maybe dream about and um, would really maybe give, you know, their their arm for. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about my journey. And um, I know that the the bio says I'll talk about being a founder, but I've been in various stages of doing X, Y, Z. So I have been an employee in big corporate. I am the child of um, a family that's always been in business. And now more recently, in the last couple of years, I have founded something of my own. So I'm going to take you through this journey and I hope that it will bring some kind of light and some kind of enjoyment to, to yourselves and also shed some, um, you know, so some crucial, yeah, let me use the word light again, some crucial light in terms of what it is that we need to do as, as women, because I think that um, very often as women and as African women, and as African women in family businesses, um, we are more prejudiced than what we think. But let me start by maybe giving you a bit of a background about myself. So my name is Nancy Guja. Um, I am a woman um, of a certain age. Um, and I spent the greater part of my life in corporate. So I've worked for a couple of big multinational, international companies. And I've won accolade upon accolade um, I was um, first vice president um, for one of these companies, um, running um, a region within Africa. I went into another one, I became a CEO, I've turned a couple of companies around. So people very often call me a turnaround strategist, but I'm a person who's just passionate about what I do. And when you want to understand why I'm passionate about what I do and why I think I, I should always have succeeded in business, because when people ask me what's for your secret, what I always say is that I, I don't feel I had the option to fail. I don't feel I have the option to fail. And just to give you a bit of a background into why I don't feel I have the option to fail, and I still don't feel I have the option to fail at whatever I do. Let me talk a little bit about my background and who I am. So if you Google a man called George Tawengwa, um, you will read that he was the first African millionaire in Zimbabwe. Uh, African meaning black, because uh, before independence, white Zimbabweans did not call themselves white Zimbabwean. They called themselves Europeans and then they called us Africans. So I am the granddaughter of the first black millionaire in Zimbabwe. 
a man who never went to school, not one day in his life, a man who started out his career herding goats and then eventually got on a bus, became a waiter in one of the prestigious hotels in, in Harare, the Mikos Hotel, started saving money and putting money together, started a grinding mill, and then together with his wife, started a business called Mushandra Pamwe, uh, which was a business that uh, Mushandra Pamwe means working together, um, and then went on to do many, many great things um, and have more than 20 children as well, which goes with being an, a, you know, a successful African entrepreneur. So my dad was his second son. Um, uh, my dad's name is Solomon. And if you Google Solomon as well, what you will find out is that he was a big businessman in Zimbabwe um, and also a great big politician. He was, for example, Harari's first executive um, uh, mayor when we went into executive mayors. Um, and he achieved a lot. He worked with his dad, you know, in terms of building up the Mushandra Pamwe Hotel. He built up his own businesses. He built up his own farms. And I have the privilege of saying that, you know, today, sitting at this certain age that I am and being a mother of, of a child who's almost an adult myself, um, I am so privileged to, to say that my dad was one of those people who is spoken about in the Bible, where it says that a great man leaves an inheritance for his children's children because I am enjoying what he worked for, but my, my, my son will certainly also enjoy it. There, there's no way that I'm going to be able, no matter how careless or how badly I perform, there's no way that I'm going to be able to, to, to squander and, and, and to do away with what he built. So I am a person who really, really understands about family businesses because I was born into a family business. My grandfather having started his business and then having had, you know, um, uh, many children and, and then divorced with my grandmother. My father, after a certain time, decided to start up his own business. And so when he was in his 30s, he left his father's business. And him and my mom started their own business, which also was, you know, very successful. And we grew up always having to work um, as children of Solomon and Victoria Tawengu. They started us working very, very early. They made us understand that, yes, we were privileged. We went to good schools. We had the best of the best but we had to work for ourselves. And my dad had a saying always, always, always that said, the world owes you nothing. And that stuck with me for life. But the secret ingredient that coming to, to where we are today, the secret ingredient that I believe made him successful and to a large extent, even my grandfather successful and which is never spoken about and you will not read about if you Google them, has always been the wife. Now, when my dad was alive, my dad's been um, gone now for over 16 years. When he was alive, to us, he was a giant. He was our dad, he was accessible. He was none of those things that, you know, you would read about that successful men are, you know, like this, they're distant to their families. He certainly was a disciplinarian. He was a very successful man. It was just as common to see my dad in the lounge as it was to see him on TV. And my mom was in the home and she was doing school runs. She was picking us up. She was cooking for my dad. She was catering basically to the family. And then my dad died and we were all grown up. We were all legally adults, but very often when you've grown up in a home where there's a lot of love and there's, there's quite a bit of privilege, you realize that you only become an adult once those things are uh, sort of taken away from me. So my dad passing on was a really, really, really difficult time for us. We had to transition into now truly becoming adults. And what surprised me is that for the first time, 
I saw that the secret ingredient to my father's success had always been my mom. And I mean, it was like an aha moment because all of a sudden we realized, my God, this woman in her own right, she has got drive. This woman in her own right, she has got, you know, the brain that was keeping my dad working. They were always partners, make no mistake. And my dad never condescended. And we understood this, but the reality, the reality is that we always thought that he was the one that had the game plan and she was his help me in, in, in every sense of the word. But no, here he goes, he dies. And then we realized because my mom now had to pull the family together and we saw her now, we saw the, 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 the spine, you know, that, that was there, the, the backbone of iron, of steel coming together. She pulled her children together and said, this is what we are going to do to preserve the business, to preserve the family, to go from step to step. And all of a sudden we realized that this was the person that was holding this family business together. And in the last few years, ever since, you know, we, we then, you know, came to that aha moment and then we started working. What we then realized was that for sure, she's the one that held the business together. And so there has to be some of it in us. And growing up, she had always said to us, you know, if you came home and you had a little story of someone that you're a little bit jealous of, or you envied or someone that you were thinking, okay, I would like to be like that person. My mom would always ask you a couple of really basic questions. I still live by that mantra up to today. My mom would say, what does this person look like? And then, you know, you might describe their you know, physical features or whatever. My mom would say, tell me a little bit more about them. Uh, how many eyes? And then you'd say two. How many legs? Two. Oh, okay. Hmm, this person sounds a lot like you. What do you think is different about this person and yourself? What's the difference between this person and yourself? And then, you know, you'd be standing there really, really trying to think, what is the difference between this person and myself? And she would say, it's the willpower. This person was probably just a little bit hungrier than you. This person was probably just a little bit more aggressive than you. So if you want it, you go out and you get it. And so we grew up, we were a family of six people, of six, um, six sisters and three brothers. So we grew up, the, the women in our family, always feeling that, you know, I, I can pretty much do whatever it is I need to do because I am just like the next person. Whoever achieves something, that I haven't achieved and that I would like to achieve. This person has probably just wanted it a little bit harder than me. This person has probably just worked a little bit harder than me. This person really is, is a person who is just like me, but this person has, has done something which I can do. And so there was always a great can-do attitude. And so for me, when I then stepped into the working world, when I went to university, um, I always believed that I was going to come back and I was going to work in the family business. That's the way that we, we were raised. There was a business, there was an obligation to take care of that business. There was an obligation to grow that business. And so this is what I thought I would do. But coming from a family with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, with um, eight other siblings, uh, at the time that I graduated, I think most of them were working in the business. And I quickly realized that there might not be space for me to do what I needed to do and what I wanted to do. So I decided to make my own way. I applied to... Uh, a couple of companies, the multinational companies that I spoke about. And I'm not going to mention any companies or anything that I did by name um, because, um, you know, the, the, the references and the story is mine and I don't want to bring any, anyone, you know, else into it. I applied, I, I then got um, uh, a job as a management trainee. 
had 16 wonderful years in a big multinational company. And during that time, I was getting to grips with who am I? I was finding myself. But because I had come from a background where I had been told that failure is not an option, but I had also been given access and I had been given the platforms to be able to start my life properly. Um, I, I didn't really feel that I was held back by a lot of what people discuss. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things which may be controversial, but I also hope that they will be enlightening. And I also hope that they will cause us to have maybe a bit of a discussion um, towards the end of this conversation. Because a lot of what I've often heard is that um, if you are working your way up in the world, there are glass ceilings and there are men who will get in your way and there are women that will refuse to help you. It hasn't been my experience. And why I think it hasn't been my experience is because I never went in expecting that someone who was just another person could tell me no. The teachings of my mom, which told me that if you want something and you've got two eyes and you've got a brain and you want it and you are hungry, go and get that thing. It also told me that even if someone gets in your way, you know, find a way around that person because who is this person to be able to like get in your way and stop? So I always felt I had to work. I always felt that I had to do the best that I could, but I didn't really see the, the glass ceilings. In hindsight, they existed, but I refused to acknowledge them. And my, my refusing to acknowledge them meant that when I was presented with such, for example, if I was competing for a role against a man, uh, I, I wouldn't really look and think that, okay, there's a man. I would just think there is another person and I'm going to beat this person. And in fact, my femininity has always been an advantage. So when I started work, I remember sitting the one time with my dad and he said to me, um, you've decided to go into a very, very male dominated environment. And I said to him, yes. And he said, are you prepared to handle it? And I was naive, I was young, I, I didn't know the world. And I said, I'm sure I'll be okay. And then he said to me, you know what? You like high heels, you like makeup. And so the guys are going to look at you and they're going to write you off because they're going to think, okay, here's someone who's here for, for us to, to be entertained, a little bit of eye candy, I guess. But what you should do while they are disregarding you, while they're thinking that you look cute in your high heels and your lipstick is a nice shade and whatever else they're thinking, you just put your head down and get on with it. Get on with it. And what you will be surprised is that by the time they realize that you're not just a Barbie doll, okay, you will have, you know, covered the gap. You will have overtaken these guys and they now will have to be catching up to you in your stilettos. And it's a motto and it's um, a teaching that I very much took to heart because make no mistake, and I apologize if there are any men on the call who are going to be maybe offended or a little bit affronted by this. Make no mistake, the majority of men, when they get into a situation still today, believe that they have some kind of superiority over women. And I always say that colonialism and paternalism are twins because it is a whole subset of humanity, looking at another whole subset of humanity and thinking that because of color or because of gender or because of something else, they have the upper hand. And if you are a person who has been allowed even a little bit of access into a place, what you should do is you should show them by doing what, what you're going to do anyway, that th there is no such thing. 
So as women, it's very correct to say that we've got a lot more to overcome than men. As black people, it's very correct to say that we have a lot more to overcome than Caucasians. But the bottom line is, the bottom line is that so long as there are people who believe that they're superior to you because of the way they look, because of you know having a Y chromosome or whatever it is, then you can actually do better than that person. Because while they're sitting there with their little assumptions, what you can do is you can get on with what needs to be done. And by the time they realize that this assumption of theirs was incorrect, you will have actually run a mile and you will have overtaken them and, and you will have done so much better. So I, I find that um, when I talk to people about my time in corporate, be it about real glass ceilings, about not being allowed access to certain things, I find that for me, it was a lot easier because I disregarded it. And so my first um, probably lesson that, that I would want to, 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 to give to, to you ladies or um, maybe not lesson, but, but my first appeal to you would be to say, whilst you must be aware of glass ceilings, whilst you must be aware of the things that may hold us back as women, you need to pay attention to them enough to just note, okay, there is this thing which is a potential stumbling block. But, but what we want to do is we want to make sure that we are the guys that then will just make sure we are working. We are working past and through that thing. I find that we fixate a lot. We fixate a lot as women on um, what, are, what are the stumbling blocks, who might get in my way. But our bottom line is that it is what it is and we just have to get on with it. So I had um, a, a good corporate career. It helps as well to have a good network. I, I always look for the women that could work with me. There is a great myth that um, women never want women to succeed. Women want um, other women to fail. It hasn't been my finding. And well, what I would also say is that if you're in a place where there are women not supporting you, then you know find a new network. Why would you hang around in a place where there are people who you actively believe are going to pull you down? People who you believe are going to be um, upset about your success. So I, I find that um, for me, those rules which other people talk about, I, I don't really take them as rules for myself because what I did is I, I always have thought that if I don't like the rules, why should I not write any rules for myself? Why should I not write new rules for myself? So that was what happened. So I went through corporate, um, 16 years in, in a big multinational company, about another four years in another company turning it around. And then a few years ago, I then went into a, a phase where I decided, okay, I think I know enough. I had decided that I was never going to join the family business full time. I always work in the family business. I've always worked in the family business. It belongs to my parents. And oh, it belongs to my parents. It, it has now come, you know, into where we are now the, the shareholders. But I've always been there, um, working and giving my input and sort of giving support to the people that are running it. But I decided that it was now time to build something of my own. And I want to come to this, um, uh, you know, central topic of today, which is about myself speaking about uh, being in business as a founder. My background, I believe, is important because uh, I, I come from a background where my family was in business, but also the journey that I walked in corporate. I think it's so important for women to hear a, a person who looks like them, a person who's walked the journey that they would want to walk saying, I had great success and I had great success 
despite all these other things that people talk about, the glass ceilings and, and, and. Because too often we hear the, the stories of, um, of lack and of fight and of sometimes failing to overcome that I think they themselves can become obstacles. I like, I was watching the, the woman of the moment, obviously, um, if you follow politics, which I do, the woman of the moment at the time is um, Kamala Harris because she's going to be sworn in tomorrow, obviously, as the first um, woman vice president in America, first woman of color amidst a lot of controversy. And I was watching, I don't know, an interview or a talk she gave somewhere. And she was, you know, really saying a message, the same message, it resonated with me. She was saying, I eat no for breakfast. She doesn't take no. If someone tells her no, she says, I, I, I don't take it. Because someone is always going to be there to tell you it's not your time, to tell you it's not your place, to tell you no one who looks like you or sounds like you or is a mother, or is a mother of young children, or is divorced, or is whatever. There will be so many stories they can tell you that you, you could find yourself being in a place where you're just held back. But she said, I eat no for breakfast. Nobody tells me no when I've made up my mind. And look, that is how you actually do um, crack the glass ceilings. That is how actually you smash it. And you go on to smash another one, and another one, and another one, and be the person that is the trailblazer um, for, for, for your gender. But so I come to now the, the interesting part of the last few years now where I've been working um, as a founder. So I am now in a situation where I, I run a couple of businesses. I run two businesses. The first one is um, an earth moving business. So talk about going into a male dominated environment. And um, <laughs> when I first got into this business, a lot of people sat me down. Um, Well-intentioning men um, and they said to me, I don't think you'll be able to do this. Why have you decided to move out of FMCG, of which I hadn't decided to move out of fast moving consumer goods because it's something I'm continuing to do. When you've done something for close to 20 years and you've done it well, chances are quite high that you can do it even in your sleep because you, you understand what needs to be done. So I wanted a new challenge, but I've always kept my foot in FMCG. But a lot of men sat me down and they told me that, you know, this is very male dominated. What are you going to do? You're going to have to spend so much of your time, of your time on building sites. You are not even an engineer and oh shame, you know, poor little lady, you need to adjust. But I'd made up my mind. I had fallen in love with the numbers because there's big money to be made there. I had fallen in love with just the plant. There is nothing more exciting, or more exhilarating, let me tell you ladies, than seeing um, big yellow machines either demolishing something or just really opening up the earth and understanding the concept of what is earth moving. So I, I, I was exposed to that, I fell in love with it and I decided this is what I'm going to do. And people sat me down and said to me, the bottom line is that you probably are not going to be able to do this. But I decided, okay, let's try. If I fail, I failed. And, and so what, because I, I, I wasn't um, you know, going to be out and having nothing to eat. But if I succeed then, happy days for me because I've succeeded. And what was interesting to me as I started, I've got like three lessons that I really want to, to touch on today or, or three sort of hot topics. The first one was that I realized that having been in corporate for a long, long time, um, I also was a little bit spoiled because corporate people talk to the corporate. So if you go and you are from, I've never worked for Coca-Cola, but let me use that as an example and you are the CEO, you're the MD of Coca-Cola, people will talk to Coca-Cola. And you, you will sometimes think they're talking to you, but they're talking to Coca-Cola. So you will never have these issues of, I need to 
raise X amount of money and I can't because people will, will lend to that organization in, in a heartbeat. So here I was, I may not have had experience in the field, but I had a good track record. We had money with people that um, were, were backing me. We were doing what you know, we were supposed to be doing. And then guess what? I went out and I said, this is who I am. I'm Nancy, I've got a reputation. I have been Businesswoman of the year in Zimbabwe two times in a row. So, you know, I've got this, here's my collateral bang. And then people looked at me and they're like, shame. Um, what does this woman think she wants to do? Um, we can't lend you money. So there, there was like a real shock when I realized that for sure, for sure, there are these obstacles that are there, you know, for women. And um, going into um, uh, the traditional banks and the traditional setups, et cetera, the bottom line was that nobody really was, was too interested in an earth moving business run by a woman who, yes, has got her accolades, but they're thinking not in this particular field. It doesn't matter who your team is. It doesn't matter who your backers are. You are the face. We're not interested. Why don't you, little lady, um, run across the road? There is a business. There is a bank. Sorry. There is a bank recently opened. It is very keen to lend to women. So you can go there and you can talk to them. They will support you because they support women. Happy days. I did my emails to the, to the bank. And wouldn't you know it? It was actually the MD of the bank that wrote back to me and said, hi, Nancy, we're so interested in, you know, supporting you, da, 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 why don't you come through and whatnot. Put on my best suit, put on my best face, walked into that place. And what do you realize? People still treat women and especially women founders as though they're children. Because when we started talking about the money, what I quickly realized was that this was not even enough money if I wanted to renovate my home that I would need. And I wanted to drive a big earth moving business. Earth moving is just that you're moving the earth so you will always be moving big sums of money. So there is a, a real need when you're a woman founder or when you're a woman entrepreneur to go out and go out knowing what will be your sources of income to bring people who've got money to the table. Because what I want to assure us is that society still really looks at us and business still really looks at us and wonders, particularly when it's what they consider a male dominated environment, which let me tell you what the meaning of male dominated is. It means it's business that men have decided that we will set this aside for ourselves so we are just going to um, put really high barriers of entry to women because this is where we make the big money. Nobody cares if you go and you have got half a hectare of tomatoes. No one cares because all it will do is it will make you a little bit of money, which will allow you to run your home, hopefully buy yourself you know, a nice dress, hopefully a nice middle of the range car, not even top of the range, and look after your family. But the moment you decide, boom, I'm here, I also want a seat at the table where you guys are making your millions. I want to know how you do it. They will tell you it's male dominated. So whenever you hear male dominated women, I, I want you to just understand what they're telling you is that this is close to you. And the more you hear that, I want you to knock because what I promise you is it's worth it. But so I went there, um, I, I, I sat with, um, uh, with these bankers. I realized that the money they were offering me was money that wasn't going to do anything for me. And so we decided to walk away. The good thing is that um, the people that I had managed to get to, to work with me were people who believed in me and they, they were not afraid and it's men. So, so I, you know, this is not a man bashing session, but it's just to, to talk to you about um, being a woman in, in, in business. 
um, they they then went and, and, and assisted me and we, we have had the money that we need to carry on doing what we're doing. And look, it's early days because it's year number three of um, a company in, um, yes, what is called a male dominated environment, what is a highly competitive environment, but we are doing good. We are doing well. And mark my words, you know, I hope Titi and Nikkei will still be, you, you know, running AFF in a couple of years time, three years from now, call me. And it will be a very different conversation that we'll be having about where's the state of the company. So this was the first thing that I wanted to talk to you about to say that just make sure as women founders, as you go out, because I'm talking today to the founders, that you have a plan about where will I raise money from? Find a place where you will raise money from because it is so hard. It is much harder, much, much harder for a woman uh, entrepreneur to raise money than it is for a male entrepreneur to raise money. So that's, thing, that's step number one. The second issue, which um, I grappled a lot with as I, as I prepared for, for, for the talk and thought, what are the insights I'm going to share, was the family aspect of it, because the brief is, is it's, a, it's, it's a particular brief. It talks to women and family businesses. Now, I talked to you a little bit already about the fact that my mom and my grandmother, um, were people that um, really supported their husbands in terms of their business and that they were really the unsung hero, you know, the wind beneath their husband's wings. And I think that worked for them at that particular time. For us, I think it's a little bit harder because we are wanting to be acknowledged. And because everyone is uh, pushing the idea that um, women can also do it, there's no woman who, who wants to be the unsung hero. We don't mind supporting our significant others, we don't mind supporting the people in our lives, but our reality is that as women and family businesses, very often we've been relegated to being the supporter. And very often when you now talk to people who've run successful businesses or founded successful businesses, what you will hear is that the woman probably had the idea. So she was the visionary or the woman was probably the actual founder. She was the one who started doing something. The moment something started working out or the moment there was a little bit of accolades to be given out or something like that, then along come the men in the family. And so this is the aspect that I grappled with because, you know, it's so easy um, when you are women and when you are women with a modicum of success and you talk to other women to, to be seen as people that are anti-men or people that want to bash men. But there is a particular struggle that I think women have, and particularly African women have in family businesses in that they are expected, no matter how great their role has been, no matter if they have been the visionary, if they have been the one burning the midnight oil, if they have been the one, the one finding the funding or the one coming up with the innovations or whatnot, they are very much expected to take a second, secondary position to play second fiddle, uh, particularly to the husband. And a lot of times even playing third fiddle huh, to their children, because what will happen is they will work, they will work with their husbands. The husband um, typically may decide to leave the business or may pass on or whatever. This person who has had all the innovations, all the ideas, again, will take a back seat and she may take a child, very often a male child, who may know less than she does, who may have work less ethic, who may have, just less um, understanding of what needs to be done in business and allow him very often to take over 
And very often there, there is a mess that is made. And so the second um, lesson or the second appeal I would really want to make to, to us as women today is to say, it's our time. We don't have to play second fiddle. We don't have to play third fiddle to anybody, not our husbands, not our children, not the men that may sit on the boards with us, not the financiers who come to the party. If it's your idea, if it's you driving, please be the one whose voice is heard. The relationship in the home where you are husband and wife is a very different conversation. The relationship where you are a mother who wants her son to succeed is a very different conversation. But when you are in the workplace, you are just a businesswoman. Now, I don't know if um, I should use the word um, lucky or I should use a, a different word, but um, for me, what's worked out well for me is that I have not ever worked with my significant other. I've always worked by myself. And um, I, I think um, I would um, admonish people to say that when you decide to work um, in a family setup, what must be important is you guys must sit down and you must put some rules together. Rules which say, what is it that we are going to, to do um, when we get into the office and what is it that we are going to do when we get into the home? Because chances are that what you are doing in the home, remember I talked about my mom, who's this great visionary, this great businesswoman, and what all that people saw was the support. It's great for her that she was the support in the home, but the bottom line is actually that she needed in the office space to probably have taken that step um, of being a leader like a whole lot earlier than, you know, than, than what she did. It didn't take my, my, my dad passing on. It shouldn't have taken my dad passing on for people to recognize and for us, even her children to recognize who she was. So women, I think you need to, to just sit and think as you're starting businesses or as you're working in family businesses to say, who am I and what is my role here? What is the role of this man that is sitting next to me? Um, am I actually the lead? Is he actually the lead? And I would encourage you to have what I call fierce conversations. You know, they say that um, a person who wants to make peace very often has got to be willing to go to war. I want to repeat that. The peacemaker very, very often has got to be willing to wage war because if you are not willing to wage war, you will have what looks like peace, but all it is is someone taking your piece of the cake. So waging war means that a person understands that you are prepared to fight for what is yours or for what you have worked for. And so you need to have fierce conversations with the people that you love most, the husband, the son, if it's a, worse if it's an extended family business, there may be a father-in-law or brothers-in-law or whatnot. You need to say, what is my role? in this place and it has to be so clearly defined and you have to be comfortable and you have to be happy with it. Otherwise you are in a better off position walking off and doing something of your own. I will never regret the fact that I took the path that I took. It, it has earned me greater respect. And when people speak of Nancy, they know Nancy. And I just wanna be a little bit naughty. Um, and just say that um, my only regret um, is that um, when I got married, I gave up my family name because I think I, I, I come from a people 
that are a big people. And I think that there was an investment that was made in me. And I just wish that I had double barreled like a lot earlier in life, or I had just stuck to my own name because there's work and there's accolades that I've done. But have fierce conversations. Do not be afraid to sit your husband down and say, what is it that we are doing? Do not be afraid if you think that you're being cornered, even if it's by family, to say that this thing is not working out for me. So I think I would want to do this. You owe it to yourself and you will do better. And you will find that after a time, you may circle back and you may come back to working together again, or you may come back to building something up together again. But you, as a, as a person, will have laid down the rules that you need to, to be respected and to make sure that you've got some skin in the game. And I also want to encourage us women to say, let's not be nice girls, okay? Let's not be nice girls. Uh, business is a tough place. There are tough conversations, there are wolves, there's all sorts happening in business. And so we, we don't need to, to get there and be the ones that are always willing to, you know, to, to, to concede something. There are places and there are conversations where we should concede. There are places and there are conversations where you should hold your ground and just say, this is what I think, this is what I believe, this is what I stand for. And people will respect you the more for that. The more you concede, the more there will be ground taken from you. And you know, it's, it sounds so hard and so harsh and so alien for me to say this, talking about people that work in family businesses. But let me tell you that the people with the greatest propensity to exploit you and exploit you some more and never once acknowledge it would usually be your family. I want to repeat that. The people with the propensity to exploit you and exploit you again and probably never give you credit regardless of you doing well would tend to be your family. You know, um, there is that saying, uh, ubiquitous saying, which um, I, I think now is just, you know, it's, 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 it's so commonplace. Um, it's, it's a biblical saying actually, which says that a prophet is never recognized in his own hometown. And the reason why is because there is a sense of familiarity. So us as women who, when we get into the home, we cook, um, we put band-aids when people are hurt, we uh, make soup and we sit with people when they're feeling ill and we look after our parents and we look after our in-laws and whatnot. People will very often tend to not see who you are. You are the prophet that will never be recognized in his hometown. The brain that you've got, the skills and the gifts that you've got, you've really got to be able to say, I want to have a fierce conversation. I want to protect my gifting. And I want to make sure that you guys recognize what I'm bringing to the table. So that's the second thing that I would say that let's not play second fiddle. Let's not play third fiddle. You know, I've got, um, I don't know if I would call him a friend, maybe more of a mentor, uh, a white Zimbabwean gentleman. And, and I mentioned the color and I mentioned the gender specifically because he once said something to me that rocked my world. Um, I know that this is a call that's happening across countries and across continents and so forth, but I'm sure most people on this call will be familiar with the Zimbabwean story where we had a controversial leader who encouraged us to you know, take land and to do what we needed to do because he was talking about black emancipation um, after independence and more so black economic emancipation. And I'm not touching on what he did and if it was right or if it was wrong, um, because this is not the, the place for it. But I want to touch on a lesson that this um, 
mentor of mine then, then, then gave me. So I was sitting, we were just having tea the one day, we were talking, it was a catch up. And then he said to me, Nancy, um, have you heard about one, two, three, which is happening? It is specifically for women. It is specifically for black women. It is specifically for black women under 40, because then I was still in that age group. Um, what are you going to, to do um, about it? And then I said to him, oh, I'm not too sure because I, I'm not sure if I, if I agree with what's happening or how it's being done. And then he said to me, um, Nancy, you know what? There was a time in the 1970s because you know, he was like in his, I think in his thirties in the 1970s. He said there was a time in the 1960s and 1970s when the land was tilted in our favor as white men. And certainly we knew that maybe things are not going to be this way forever. We didn't question it. We said, this is the opportunity that is sitting on the table for us. I think we need to move. And I think we need to do what we need to do to build business and to build legacy. And he said, we did it. And he said, all you are doing is you're sitting and you are hypothesizing too much when opportunities are being put in front of you. Now, if morally you believe that what's happening is, is wrong and you can't buy into it, then just say that I can never touch this. But if you just want to sit and hypothesize and then one day still come and you know cry about how tough things are and talk to me about glass ceilings, I'm not your guy. So he gave me like a really, really tough talk that made me sort of sit up and say, you know what, this is our time and this is my time. Never before has there been such a time where women have had like a tray set before us where we really can take things into, into our control, take things in our own hands and the world will support us. Society will support us, our sisters will support us, even our families, the ones that I'm saying that so often they can be the ones which would be um, a stumbling block. They will support us today. So we don't have to be the nice little girl waiting for someone to come and say, here, here is this all laid out for you. Where we need to fight, let's fight. Where we need to make a couple of decisions or have a couple of fierce conversations or whatever, let's do that. Because I promise you there's that um, famous little book which is, uh, says good girls don't get the corner office, talking about corporate. But I also believe that even in, just in real life and business, good girls are not going to get the prize because they're going to be waiting for someone to hand it over to them. But there is nothing worth having, which you are not going to have without pushing back. More so when someone's thinking, this is just my wife. It's my wife. I just wanted to cook and have my babies and whatever. You, you, you will have to make them see that th this is who I also am to you and to our family. And you might be the giant. You might be the Estee Lauder of your family. And yet someone wants you to be Estee's partner. You're not. If you're the Estee Lauder, you're the Estee Lauder. If you are the Oprah of that relationship, you are the Oprah and we need to own it and we need to just separate uh, family from business. So, and I think that really is um, at the heart of maybe the conversations that have been happening from yesterday into tomorrow, that it's family, so it's different. It's a lot easier a lot of the time to be tougher with um, people that we are not related to, but the people that we have to share a bed with, a home with, children with, um, it's a lot harder. But because we are talking about family businesses, actually it makes it that much more worthwhile. And because at the heart of what Tsitsi and Nikkei are doing, if I'm correct, is they're trying to talk about legacy, that much more important. Because why should you take a back seat to building a legacy for your children?
you want to be right there. And if you are the better driver, you want to be the one in the driver's seat and you just going to have to find a way to make peace uh, between yourself and be it your husband, be it your children, be it your in-laws, whatever it is. The final thing that I, I wanted to say is that um, mindset, mindset matters a lot. Now, I, I started by telling you a little bit about the family that I come from and that I'm so thankful to God that I'm a child that um, was raised in a family that gave me access and privileges that a lot of other people don't have. And that is um, so much more true in Africa than probably anywhere else in the world, maybe Africa and Asia. Um, women, if you research women entrepreneurship um, and particularly in third world countries, you will see that women, are, we are the entrepreneurs. We are the business founders in Africa. We are the ones. And what tends to happen is that we tend to be the ones not because we had a great burning passion to be the ones, but simply because there were less opportunities for us. Okay, I want to repeat that. Most women go into becoming entrepreneurs because there are less opportunities for them. I'm talking about Africa in particular. Um, research it, look for it, you will see that um, women are probably more likely as young girls to be told that there's not enough money to go to school, so can you drop out? Your options are limited. What are you going to do? Are you going to marry early, get pregnant you know, early? Or are you going to do something? So women just are forced into it. And, and even um, as, as we go into later stages of our lives, and um, I'm talking about 20s and 30s, not you know, the, 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 the later, later stages, we then get married and then there's usually need for a second income, but there's need for a second income and flexibility. So that the husband will have a job or he'll be doing whatever he's doing, <coughs> excuse me. And um, the, the family will be together now and there probably will be children, you may be married. And now you need an income, but you also need a housekeeper. You also need a child minder. You need a cook, you need whatever. And you are all those things as a woman. But you know that during your day, you've got three or four hours. And so you decide that, okay, I can you know, open a little tuck shop. I can do X, Y, Z. I can sell something and make a little bit of money. And so women go into entrepreneurship because of need rather than because of desire or because they think they want to, to build something big. But what I want to encourage everyone who's ever started or maybe who is still like sort of at a, at a, at a lower stage and a smaller business is to say that it doesn't matter where you start, but the mindset matters. What must matter is where you finish. When we're talking about legacy, we're talking about what are people going to say about you 10, 20, 30, 50, 75 years from now. Um, there's a clip I, I've seen going around. I don't know if you guys have seen it, which talks about, you know, Bentley, Gucci. Um, it talks about almost every brand that you can think of. And it says, this is a name. It's someone's name. And they built up something which people could talk about. And so it doesn't matter the fact that this person started off doing X, Y, Z. But what matters is that 75 years, you know, after that person is long gone and did, their name has become a brand so valuable that we are willing to spend hundreds of thousands of money on it or of dollars on it. So I, I would say to you that um, your mindset must matter. Don't be boxed into, remember, remember I said that when I started the earth moving, uh, we realized that there was no money coming from anywhere. And so we had to look for it. Um, but luckily there was people who did. Now, if you're starting and there's no backer, there's no reputation, there's nothing, there's just you and you're starting your business. 
your mindset is all you've got. You've got to be telling yourself that 75 years from now, I would have done this. I will have done that. Don't be limited by the fact that I started because I have to pay fees for my child. Why can't you pay fees for your child from that business and renovate your house or and buy a house or and rent two rooms instead of one and then and rent a full house and buy a house and build a house and, 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 and mindset matters. So I encourage you to not be limited by where you're starting or where you've started from. I encourage you to not be limited by what you can see and to really think outside the box and look at what women in, 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 in other countries or in other places have done. And I'm Zimbabwean, so I would always look at a person who I know is one of the speakers who has been or will be, um, look at what a divine Dukula has done. And, and when you listen to her, she will talk to you about mindset and say, I started at my kitchen table with X, Y, Z, and she'll even show you the little paper of I first drew this. But look at where she is today, second biggest employer in Zimbabwe after the government. Look at um, people like Oprah, if you were to like look globally, who says, you know what, all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was earn as much as my age. So when I was 24, I wanted to earn 24,000 and, 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 and now look at her, she's not a billion years old, but she's got like a couple of billions. So mindset matters. And you can only enlarge your mindset by enlarging what you see, and so I encourage you to look for people who've done way better than you. I encourage you to keep coming to things like this. I encourage you to read more. I encourage you to think, how did City start? How did Nikkei start? How did who, how did who, how did who? And follow those people. Find two or three people that you make your case study and then say this, I, I, I will follow this. I will follow this. I will follow this. And you'll find that you, you build. But mindset is so, so critical to me. So my lessons are about mindset. My lessons are about don't play second fiddle. My lessons are about don't play small and do not be limited by where you come from. And don't let anybody tell you, you know, this is what can be done and this is what can't be done. You, you must tell yourself, I can do whatever it is that I want to do. See obstacles only in so far as you, you need to know there's an obstacle there. But the same way that we, we in, in a lot of African countries know that you've got to navigate because there are potholes, but you navigate around that pothole, navigate around that pothole and don't be held back by people telling you it's a man's world, it's a white person's world, it's a whatever's world. It is, your world is what you make it. And whilst there, must, there might be obstacles, those obstacles are what will make you stronger. And ladies, don't shy away from fierce conversations. Don't shy away from setting out boundaries and from sometimes going out on your own if you need to, because you will circle back. If, if you're um, really in the mindset of, I want to build legacy and I want to build family, chances are you'll circle back, but you can only do so where you are being recognized for your worth and you are not just that prophet that is there not being recognized. So I, I hope um, there have been some nuggets. Um, I hope it has been clear. If not, um, Nikkei and Sitsi, I'm open to questions and, um, we can talk and I can clarify or I can, um, yeah, retract if I need to or apologize if I've offended anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm just like overwhelmed with so much wisdom that you've poured out to us this afternoon. Thank you so much, Nancy. Um, the chat box is like on fire. I'm even struggling to find the, we can only take at this rate one question. 
And that's from Nathan. What steps do, do you think many male-dominated businesses and enterprises, particularly in African cultures, can take in the short term to make their workspace a better place for women to work and increase the representation of women within their organizations? Okay. Oh my God. Why did you why did you ask me that question, Nikke? Because now I'm gonna to have to say something. I ah I, I always hate answering with um with controversy. Um I hate the word representation, uh, which which was part of the question. Uh so I'll deal with that like very quickly. I hate the word representation because um and, and I hate quotas and I hate all that. Mm-hmm. Why I hate it is because, you know, anytime you get to a table and they say there are 10 seats here, we've reserved two for women. It doesn't matter which woman it is, right? It can be your two-year-old daughter. It can be someone who's got zero value to add. They will fill that quota and they will be a representative of, you know, us as a gender. It has to be a particular type of person. So what I would say is that... Um, for African businesses, which are male dominated, but which want to create a better culture, uh, allow women to come in, just allow them to come in and allow them to compete, allow them to compete. And I will always maintain that the seat has to go always to the person who is the best individual that can fill that seat. Because there is no point in us as women going where we are going to be second rate. If you listen to any, and, and I'll strain the world of politics, if you listen to any sort of politician in Africa talking where there's been quotas, you will hear about um, city councils and parliamentary buildings and whatnot, where there are women who supposedly have been voted in, but all they're doing is they're making tea for the men and they are, I suppose, a parliamentary or a council wife who's accompanied someone there. So I, I, I don't like the word representation, but what I think we can do is I think that we must have um, try and bring in more women um, at the middle management and at the senior level. So if you're recruiting, for example, um, a middle manager, or if you're recruiting a senior manager and you are a male dominated company, try and say, can we bring in a woman? Because already then you've got representation, but it's a person who's got the correct experience, qualification, whatever it is you're looking for. And then automatically she will always be trying to open the door. You know, I spoke about, I've heard of the Smith where women are just continuously shutting doors. I have just seen that women open doors for other women. So if you get the right woman, she probably will open the door for, for other women to come in and, and go out. Thank you so much, Nancy, for, for this session. Um, it, it's such a powerful, powerful session. I think uh, if you've seen the chat box and the reactions, everybody's just been hearting and be clapping hands. Unfortunately, because our next session starts in the next five minutes, we will have to just say goodbye, but we are doing it with a heavy heart because this has been so incredible. It's been so powerful. Um, Is there any way uh, people can contact you if they want to contact you after this session? Um, Social media, um, any other way, if you want them to contact contact you through us, um, if you can just let us know. Okay, sure. I'm on social media. Um, I'm one of those very um, non-creative people. So on um, uh, Twitter, it's um, Nancy Tawengwa. Um, on Facebook, it's um, Nancy Guja. So you will find me by my name. And um, that's it. Um, so if you look for Nancy Guja, Nancy Tawengwa, you're going to find me. Um, I'm just on Twitter and Facebook. I prefer Twitter. Um, and that's it. But thank you so much. 
Thank you, you Titi. Thank you, Absolutely welcome. And we are honored to have you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.